Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to our time together today. We're going to have guide talks starting in just a minute or so. And then Beverly Canaris will be joining me for the full hour uh, in hour two. So it's going to be the show. I've been uh, excited about getting the guys back, the power panel reassembled. It's going to be a little bit of a change in the lineup today. Um, I'm going to be uh, inviting into the show Tiger McLuhan, who's a friend of mine and I've been a guest before on the show and he's uh, with Youth Ministry Consultants. He's been in youth ministry, I think, his whole career. And then also uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Justin Jepson. So, gentlemen, welcome. Let's go do good radio. Sounds good. How are you? Thank you, Bill. Everyone say a big hi to Tiger. Hi, Tiger. Tiger, Tiger. (laughs) Good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, how's everyone today? Just want to check in. Enjoying the sunshine? Good, as am I. As am I. I just, I just watched five minutes of the Devil's press conference, and I'm ready to do anything but watch any more of that. So, <laughs> go right well, ahead. I'm glad you're with us today, Tom Brock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I was looking at some uh, questions for today, and I also want to invite all listeners to join in as well. If you've got a question, you can send. And in the form of a text to 877-933-2484, we'll try to tackle any question you got for us. But when I was uh, thinking of uh, when Jesus was on the cross and he was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he just feel forsaken or, or was he really forsaken? Just start out with a light question. Way to go. Bill. I figured I'd start with a light one. <laughs> well, you know, Bill, there is sadly a movement uh, in some more liberal Christian circles to abandon what's called atonement theology because mm-hmm. they don't. They think that to to believe that God the Father punished Jesus for our sins, they think that makes God a divine child abuser. So they don't like the belief that God the Father punished Christ for our sins. problem with that, it's all over the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. And I think we want to maintain that Jesus didn't just feel forsaken. He really was forsaken, because the penalty for sin is to be forsaken by God. And this is called the substitutionary element of Christ, that uh, he's perfect, I'm not. He substitutes himself and takes my punishment so I can be saved. And that punishment is to be forsaken by the Father. So I think we uh, it it's just a very central doctrine of the Church that uh, we need to maintain. Well said, Tom Brock. Thank you for that. Thank you. I mean, if you look at Second Corinthians five twenty one, it says, "For our sake he made him Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." And the emphatic part of the Greek word there is, Jesus was not play acting. He was not a facsimile. He was not a copy. He literally became sin for us at that moment on the cross, absorbing all of our sin so that we could be set free. And, of course, what does God the Father do with flagrant sin? 
he has to reject it. And so when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? It was exactly what had happened. He had taken on all of our sin and taken our punishment, and he really did go through a lot just for you and me. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you know, Bill, along, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to P.S. on this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is from Psalm 22 in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. 1000 B.C. It's one of the clearest predictions of the crucifixion of Christ, written a thousand years before he was born. This man has his hands and feet pierced. Uh, he can count all of his bones. I thirst. Uh, they uh, they cast lots for garments. It's just it, it's one of the more amazing portions of scripture that show that God put this thing together. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing that can get somebody when you look at mm-hmm. Psalm twenty two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tom, you stole my material. That's exactly what I was going to say. He is quoting oh. Psalm twenty two, but <laughs> you know that's 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 good. The only thing I would add to that too is, I mean, I think this is this this reality of Jesus being forsaken was what caused them to agonize in prayer and to the point of sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, and for him to actually ask God the Father if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. That there was something that actually physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually occurred. I mean, it was suffering in the in the full sense of him for the very first time of all of eternity, having God the Father turn his back and experiencing in that moment a, a separation um, from him. And and so I think, you know, the, the garden alludes to the the reality and the, the gravity of, of that moment on the cross. Yeah, I am. Um... My, my thought here is I uh, listen to these really smart guys that articulate the atonement theology is really important and, and good to be reminded of. My observation when I when I listen to uh, the fact that it is quoted from Psalm 22, I always I find myself landing in, in moments with alongside of people and in my journey when Psalm 22 speaks closer to our experience of God than our more favorite psalm, which is the next psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We love quoting that one, but Psalm 22 is often a part of our journey as well, which is we struggle with that sense of being barren and and disconnected. I've done funerals where we have to acknowledge it. A lot of us sitting in that room are not yet at Psalm 23. The same God that we, we're, we know as our shepherd, uh, for this moment, there's an experience of, of being disconnected and forsaken. And, and that pain is real for some people. And I guess when I listen to uh, someone identify that Psalm 22, I, th- I think of people that have been in that journey of spiritual uh, struggle where they feel guilty. They 23 yet they have to get through Psalm 22 to land there. I love that. I love that, Tiger. That's Thank good. you. And I, I thought maybe someone might also chime in with Isaiah 53, and in verse 5 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So he did not uh, see that as a surprise, like he was forsaken on the cross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, great contributions. Uh, God's justice is inflexible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. Very true. Even though we keep trying to bend it in this day and age, yes. it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. All right, let me uh, shift to the uh, some of the um, thoughts I've had on when people are outside of God's family, 
they are hostile to the gospel, the gospel, they would be considered enemies of the gospel. And then when they conduct themselves in very ungodly behavior, uh, we see them as the enemy or the victims of the enemy. Hmm. Easy question number two. Who wants to go yeah, first? Uh, yeah. Man, no kidding. One. Glad I joined in today. Yeah, I know. How about yeah, this? What I was your won't... favorite band in high school? Does that help? Does that yeah. make things easier? <laughs> Tiger, you go first. <laughs> oh, I'm guessing it was funny. the Bee Gees. Am I right? Well, who you who would you ask that Tiger. for? Tiger. Yeah, I'm asking you. Your favorite band in high school? Oh, yeah, I. In high school, I, I'd be before the Bee Gees. Sorry okay. About yeah, that. that's all right. Yeah, I, I figured. Yeah. Okay. What would be one album <laughs> you'd be embarrassed to admit you have at home? Uh, well, I'm not sure I have any more albums. I have playlists. I'm cool and relevant. Uh, well, you know the, the the concept. Let's get back to my question. Um, okay. Yeah. I, well, I would say just to answer that with another, just the scripture that came to my mind. You know, Bill, I think that's really, I think at the very basis, I mean, if we, the, the scripture is clear that ultimately our enemy is, is not flesh and blood. It's, it's a spiritual enemy, but yet it's manifested in in and through a physical in, in, in and through physical realm, which includes people. But I was thinking of Second um, Timothy two 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 twenty four. It says, "In the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, after after being captured by him to do his will." And so. You know, I think behind even maybe the person who's committed the most cruel and the most wicked act, um, while God's justice, as we said, certainly is not flexible, I believe, because it's tied tied to his righteousness, and that we'll be held accountable, that um, ultimately I think Scripture does paint this picture of this idea of people that have been captured, that they, they are li- were literally enslaved um, to the prince of the power of the air, um, dead in our transgressions, and that's why, you know, Jesus came and part of that atonement theology is the ransom theory that he came and he paid the price to, to buy back what's rightfully his and to free people from that enslavement to sin, from that enslavement to the devil, so that they become what they were created to be, which is to, to be children uh, of God. Isn't that verse you know, 26 yeah. just chilling? It says, and they will uh, come to their senses and escape from the come trap of the sense. devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Bill, I, 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 I would... F- go ahead. Tom Parrish, go ahead. Bill, is that I'm caught between two worlds as a Christian. I'm caught between the world of wanting to know and be like Jesus and obey him and love even my enemies, and the world of the flesh, of which I'm still a part of. When I get hurt, I get angry. And there is this part of me that still even wants to, what well, we call it, seek justice. In my case, it's called get revenge. The battle is, how do I deal with those two when these things happen? When somebody, you know, I never thought as a pastor that some of the greatest nemesises in my life would be church members, would say some <laughs> of the cruelest things and hurt my family and me in ways I couldn't even imagine. And I had to make up my mind real fast how I was going to deal with that. And I remember one circumstance, a gentleman had said something really cruel about me and uh, said it through the church. And then he wound up having a heart attack later that week. I was in the hospital. Well, guess who got to go minister to him? <laughs> I had to go minister yeah. to him. I didn't want to minister to him because this man had hurt me. But Jesus taught me in that circumstance that regardless of how I emotionally feel, 
to really follow him means I will obey and do what he wants. And so I expressed love, and I meant it, and I read the scriptures, and I prayed over him, and he was substantially healed over a period of time. And so I learned real fast, it's between the two, and I can't let my human flesh dominate what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. Good answer. So he didn't get his heart attack because he was mean to you? That's that's not the correct answer. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that had anything to do with me, but I, well, oh, okay. that would be, kind of, be a little strange. All right, let me take a little yeah. break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'd love to hear what your questions would be for the Power Panel. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. I guess we're having a little bit of a techno problem, but uh, so I guess we can't take a break quite yet. But wouldn't you know, you guys didn't say anything really dumb when I said hey. we'll go to break. So I'm very proud of good, you guys. Good, good. Yeah. Here's my thoughts. Let me jump in then. Here's my thoughts on this, okay. uh, that question about are they really the enemy? I guess, Bill, I, I've always struggled with any language for those of us in the church and who have found God's grace that we start using a us and them, we, they mentality. You know, like they're worse than us. They're the enemies of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, they really are. They really are uh, different than us and worse than us. Anytime we do that, I don't think it gets us anywhere. We can see that in the political arena. We can see that in all kinds of ways that I think the gospel is calling us to understand with compassion that, yes, they are. They're not they have not responded to the gospel yet, but they're not that much unlike us, as someone has said yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I struggle with the same things. And, but by the grace of God, I could be there. And so any language for me that creates a us them uh, wall between me and them there, any language that makes them worse, less than um, really doesn't doesn't do me any good. And it rarely does anyone in the church good. We wow. do it that way. <laughs> Tiger, that's a lot of wisdom for a guy sitting home in his pajamas. <laughs> we'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to Guy Talk. The power panel has changed a little bit today. Tiger McLuhan has joined us. Tiger's been a longtime friend. And then Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepson. Uh, Peter Kapsner has the day off. I gave him the day off because it was his, what do you call it, his wedding anniversary. So there you go. <laughs> He's probably still listening, though, with his wife right now. He better be. He better be. <laughs> there will be Correcting all of us. Yes, yep. there will be. You guys are doing a good job, uh, not talking over each other, so way to go. When uh, I look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, this very famous, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. When you read that, what does rest look and feel like to you? Well, I mean, if we ask the question, look at the life of Jesus, look at the life of the Apostle Paul, both of them had conflict filled lives. <laughs> and so it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. And Bill, in the same, what is it, the next verse is even hard. Uh, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and there are days that really, you know. And so what what does he mean by peace? I'm guessing he means 
peace with God. My sins are forgiven. I know where I'm spending eternity. I have meaning and purpose in life. I can go to God with all my problems and cares. You've got all of that that the world doesn't have. And they've got, they've got the same conflicts we have, but they don't have a Savior. I'm guessing that would be a big part of it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm looking that. at the uh, original language just to see what the word rest means. It can also be translated as refreshment. And I know that's probably a bigger word, and it's easier just to say rest. But think about it for a moment. Most of us don't get what we would really call enough rest emotionally and spiritually from life. Uh, life doesn't take a day off. But in Jesus, he brings that inner refreshment to where we get up the, the courage, the faith, the fortitude to go deal with it again and not to give up. And I think the most refreshed people I've seen who rest in the Lord were ones who never gave up on others. They never gave mm-hmm. up on the mission. They never gave up on any of those things. And I think, wow, that's what I want in my life. I want that kind of refreshment every day. Mm-hmm. Well yeah. said, Tom Parrish. Anybody else want to I jump think, in on that? Yeah, I think um, I, I once heard said this way. I think this idea of rest is being released from the crushing burden of trying to control everything. And, yeah. you know, this idea of being yoked to Jesus, you know, that that language of being yoked, of being, you know, back then in the agrarian culture, the, the original readers would have understood that of being yoked to, to somebody means that that you're you're hitching yourself to somebody else and you're submitting and you're surrendering to them as as the leader in, in the way that a farmer would yoke a mature oxen with an immature oxen so that it could kind of learn the ropes and learn how to do life so to speak so really i think rest is this idea of jesus saying i'm i'm gentle and lowly in heart i think rest and humility really seem to go hand in hand and humility of really knowing my place and and knowing my identity and and knowing that i I belong. I'm accepted. I'm loved. That I get to be in an intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe, and that my life has a meaning and has a purpose because I'm yoked to Jesus. And so I think there's a ceasing of striving and trying to um, achieve and try to prove and validate myself by my own achievements or accomplishments, or even by what others say of me. So I think it's it's really it's intimacy with intimacy with Jesus. <clears throat> I like. All right, let's, uh, Tiger. Unless you got anything to contribute, I'll move on. That's it's all good yeah, there. I think it is too. I was thinking about the fragility of human life, how um, fragile it can be, and how, in the midst of our fragility, God cares about us, and as He cares about everything fragile and vulnerable. Um, yet we're not really supposed to go out into the world that way, and yet we feel fragile. So. Tiger, I know, for example, you've you've had some health struggles over the last five years or so. Wouldn't you say that's a fair fair way to put it? Um, actually, it's been much longer than that. I uh, at twenty. I'm just trying to be nice. Three, been <laughs> twenty three or twenty four. Newly married, uh, I blacked out and was told I have a heart condition. And later, the re-diagnosis of that was called sudden death syndrome. And uh, that's a very start. That's a very startling uh, phrase to be told that you have. Um, and and yeah, if I've wrestled with this this uh, miracle of the human body that is resilient and strong and capable and can recover from enormous things, and at the same time uh, is also fragile and uh, you know on a whisper from from moving to to eternity and. 
I've wrestled with it myself over the years. I've wrestled with it when I feel like um, there's a storm that's too big. I've wrestled with it as I've had family members and we've prayed for um, incessantly. And then the next time we meet, we're at their funeral. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's not a theoretical thing or a Sunday school issue for me. Uh, the fragility and yet the, the amazing resiliency of, the, of God's creation, the human body, is... Uh, is a miracle and also uh, weak at the same time. And it's a, it's an interesting combination. It's both and. Yeah, I get that. So mm-hmm. really your condition has been sudden death syndrome. You've lived with rolling around your head for the last, you know, however many decades. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's, yeah. And then you get a machine put in you to try to, you know, they say, if you have the sudden death episode, uh, this machine is supposed to you know, fire up and keep you alive. So you have to trust a little machine in your chest and the God of the universe. And it's, it's made life very different from the theory to the reality of having that words phrase in your head as you walk your, your daily life. And Tiger, has it uh, gone off since you had it put in? Um, it uh, went off about a year and a half after I had it put in. I'm having it now. I'm it's been 20 years since I've had the machine in. It's a defibrillator, it's called. Um, it went off about a year and a half late afterwards, uh, which then meant thought we had a sudden death syndrome, and I was on in an ambulance. We found out later that um, that it wasn't a heart attack I was having or a condition. It was uh, uh, the wire, the insulation on the wire from the machine to my heart had cracked. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, it was, so it set the machine yeah, off. Yes. It, yeah. And, and uh, medical people don't call them shocks, even though it's an electrical shock like you see on TV when you do the paddles. Yeah. Uh, they call them therapies, which, which <laughs> is such a nice word. Isn't it? Yeah. So gentle. And, and they said because it, uh, the wire cracked, it, it uh, gave me four inappropriate therapies, which let oh. me tell you, they were really inappropriate. Not everybody gets one of those. So. <laughs> no, no, I would I got to be in the minority right there. It was uh, for inappropriate wow. therapies. So, yeah, that startled me into the awareness of what this machine can do. Hmm. So, yeah, fragility is part of my life. Yeah, and yet it's important for us to accept that fragility and let God uh, be a part of that versus, you know, beat ourselves up over it. Uh, I think I think the strength from God has increased as I've admitted the fragility piece. Okay, yeah, I love you're that. You're right. You're right. So what I'd like to do is talk. So as I, yeah, I'd like to talk a, a little bit more about that on the other side of the break. We're coming up against a hard break, so um, I need to uh, take a very short one. But when we come back, we'll continue the power panel. And if you have questions or comments, uh, love to hear your your text questions. Eight seven seven nine three three twenty four. 84 877-933-2484. Again, the power panel is Tiger McLuhan, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. We'll be right back.
right, there's our theme song for Guide Talk. Welcome back. Awfully glad to have the power panel today. Tiger McLuhan, Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Peter Kapsner is off today from what his press agent told me. So he doesn't really contact me personally. I just hear from his people. So that's what he said. You and me both. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, right before we went to break, we were talking about fragility, which is a word that I don't know if guys really talk about very much. But it's interesting to hear about it from a guy's perspective because men always need to have the appearance of being, you know, strong and everything else. And really, there's another side to men that has a hard time admitting that there's a, a, a weakness or a, a vulnerability, and yet it seems pretty important to do that. Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, yes. Uh, two days ago, I did a funeral. Okay. And I, I love to. I'd much rather do a funeral than a wedding or a baptismal service, I love doing funerals because you get to put, well, you get a lot of people in church you've never seen before, and they only go to church for a funeral. And so it's the best time to preach the fragility of human life. You're going to die. There's heaven and there's hell. Do you know the Savior? And I think the, well, yeah, I, I'm getting older and thinking death more than I used to, but you know, just it, uh, the fragility of human life is a drag. It's part of the fall, but we got to keep remembering when we get fragile, whether it's emotionally or physically, that uh, we're just here on Earth for one second, and then there's eternity. So just you know, I, I love doing funerals and handing out salvation tracts to everybody that that comes, and I just think when fragility rears its ugly head. Just remind yourself that's what Jesus came for, was to save us from this life. Yeah, thank you, Tom Brock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts, gentlemen? Have at it. Well, I just keep going back to um, what Tiger had mentioned, that this, how the reality of God's power and strength is released when he is willing to admit his the weakness and the fragility. Mm-hmm. And it just reminds me of... You know, Paul. Paul is saying in Second Corinthians twelve that I can I can boast about my weaknesses, um, that the that the Christ's power is made perfect in my weaknesses, and um, when I'm weak, He is strong. And I remember for me, in a way that's really worlds apart from the level of severity of having sudden death syndrome. But as a as a college student playing football, um, having a herniated disc in my back that really debilitated me for. Um, you know, about a year and a half of just chronic pain um, and feeling like I was so young and I shouldn't have this this, this problem or this condition. And um, the Lord really broke down and, and helping me see that and feeling physically fragile and really helped me see and gave a window into how fragile I am in every aspect of my life and how really my life is, is not in my hands um, and how short and the brevity of life. Um, and so it really, it really, there's a way that embracing that reality and, and the way that God somehow just redemptively uses pain helps to give up that, that eternal perspective that is, that is so needed. And I think especially in moments of a global pandemic and cultural pandemic, um, life is indeed so fragile, but it's yet eternally valuable. And just that, that paradox is, um, is really powerful, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. It does not have to be a life and death issue for us to be aware of fragility. And, um, and, and when we do that, we do recognize the complexity of, you know, my title I often give at workshops is finding God in the midst of storms, whatever that storm is. And so whether it's mm-hmm. losing a, 
losing football for a while or not being able to, you know, graduate with your class this year for high school. You know, there's, there's a storm that people experience over, you know, very different styles of storms, mm-hmm. but they've got to find strength from God in the midst of that storm. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my next topic, my next question. How do you find God in the midst of a storm, Tiger? <laughs> I felt like oh, it's so, yeah, wow. <laughs> It's so easy. <laughs> um, well, one, you can one, see I've run one, out of prepared questions. Yeah, I guess you know, just just pile on. Thanks a lot. I, <laughs> well, you won't be back, it, so go ahead. Yeah, it's really. It, I mean, one of the things that I that I have to admit to myself, as well as with when I'm walking with people who are in the midst of a storm, is that. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 7, you know, uh, the foolish person builds their house on sand. The wise person builds their house on rock. We love that because that's a we're smart people. We're on the rock. The problem with that verse is that the same things happen to both people. The rains come, streams rise, the winds beat against that house. So that what I've come to understand is that Jesus is not a rescue from the storm. He's a rock in the midst of the storm. That's a completely different angle to dealing with my fragility is not asking God to fix the thing that I feel fragile in, but to find strength mm-hmm. to be the man of God while I'm in the midst of the fragile and the mm-hmm. storm. That's and that's very different focus of my effort. And that these last number of years for me, that's been the awareness that I've had is we, we tend to try to fix the problem and get that house fixed on the rock rather than acknowledge we're just we're just inches from crashing if we don't stand on the rock. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I want to pick up on that because I think in America we kind of live in an illusion. I mean, it's good here. We have medical facilities, <laughs> we have dental yeah. facilities, we have plenty of food. But as I've traveled the world and, and lived in jungles with people, uh, I find the Christians there have a different perspective of life. They see all life as fragile. But they're going to live that day to the hilt for Jesus because it's the only day they have. Now, how many times have people said to you and I, hey, just let it take it one day at a time? Most of us can't do that until we're faced with a situation, a crisis, a moment where we can't control it anymore. And I think that uh, trusting in Jesus, whether we live or whether we die, whether the problem gets resolved or not, whether the cancer stays or goes away— is the biggest challenge we have in America to our Christianity because we really want paradise now. We're overseas. They're looking for paradise when they die. It's interesting, uh, Tom Parrish, because oftentimes when we, we hear prayer re- requests, I would say a really large percentage of them are prayers for healing from a physical uh, mm-hmm. calamity of some kind. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah, very true. And it's a, and it's not a bad prayer, but no, it's not. Uh, in the no. storm, sometimes sometimes you land on you you get that miracle of healing, and then you're in Psalm 23, and you feel like there God is your shepherd. And other times you you watch those prayers feel like they're completely unanswered. We my our family's been in the midst of this for the last six or seven months praying for things to change and nothing has changed. And so we have to live that day at a time, as Tom said, in a way that is much deeper than just the easy way to say it, just live a day at a time. When you're, when you're struggling with the day you're in, you can't go past that. You have to find God right there because that's all you got. 
and we've been living that way for quite a while here and it's not easy but it it's very you know it, it's the truth of of the word mm-hmm. nicely done gentlemen all right mm-hmm. uh when you hear an expression like uh just let go and let god when you hear that what do you think gag me okay me too <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just i'm just sorry i'm just sorry i mean that's unspiritual i just that that kind of trite phraseology that we like you know another one we've been told a lot in these last six months don't worry god's got this and it's i get it but at the same time let's be honest it's tough sometimes in the storm and this, the, anytime you try to capsulize the, the fullness of this journey into a simplistic phrase like that, I, I find myself less and less encouraged by it and more and more bothered by it. But that might just be uh, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiger, mm-hmm. I pretty much agree with you. I find that when, you know, when you go to a funeral, most people don't know what to say. I'm sorry, right. you know, they were too uh-huh. young, this type of thing. And I think we like to pick up cliches like, you know, the one we were just mentioned. Uh, let go and let God. It's much easier than saying to somebody, tell me about your frustration. Tell me about your anger. Yeah. Tell me about how your faith yeah. is doing. Tell me what yeah. Jesus is yeah. doing in your life. I found when I got there with people, some interesting discussions began that would never happen if I just gave them the cliche and walked away. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yep. I'll, I'll you know, you know, sometimes, sometimes when I'm driving and I'll see a bumper sticker like <laughs> let go and let God. Sometimes that's exactly what I need to see, you know? So I, yeah, I, you know, We don't want to be too trite with people, that's for sure. But now and then, I, I, I mean, just I love Christian bumper stickers. They can get me out of my funk. And, uh, <laughs> Is that because you tailgate them, Tom, so you're close enough to read what they say? I do, bet. <laughs> the one I my favorite one, my favorite, well, there's, there's two. My favorite Christian bumper sticker is, I wouldn't be caught dead without Jesus. That's my favorite. But my other favorite is, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like Grandpa, not yelling and screaming like the other people yeah, in his right. car. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, I, I think alongside of this, well, in terms of bumper sticker, I, I always wanted the one in, in my, my college car, you know, that said my real treasures in heaven into that idea, but um, <laughs> don't judge me or my, something like that. But, yeah. you know, I think when it comes to those types of things, when, when someone has said that to me, I definitely have the gag reflex like Tiger. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think it's just so, it's just so vague, you know, that I think mm-hmm. if, if you really press into that, I think there's, if someone says that to me, I think there might be an invitation to lean in and say, well, what do you, you know, what do you mean by that? And then, then maybe kind of, get to a level that's specific enough for it to maybe actually be helpful. And, you know, uh, what comes to my mind in this idea of a storm too, um, kind of tying back to that, one of my, my son's favorite Bible stories as he's learning that in his Jesus storybook Bible is Jesus calming the storm and he calls it the Jesus boat story. And I, I was reading back through it. And as I've, you know, read that with him very often, you know, very pretty often, um, I, I was just looking back and, you know, on that, not my actual Bible. It's it's a kid's Bible, but you know, it's a in looking back in my copy of the uh, my copy of the Bible, and it said that when Jesus, um, when the boat was already filling with water, it says in verse thirty-eight in Matthew, uh, Mark four, but he was in the stern asleep on a cushion, and 
I think maybe just because I was recently canoeing at that point, um, I, that <laughs> idea of if you're sitting in the stern, that means you're the one who's steering. That means you're the one who's can, in, in control of the direction of the canoe. And, and the stern is where the back of the boat, that's where the rudder is. And, and, I, and when I read it with my son, he always likes to point out, oh, there's Jesus. There's Jesus. And, and I think the, that idea of um, recognizing peace in the storm and, 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 uh, and letting go and letting God is really, really, really recognizing where is Jesus in this, that he's not aloof, he's not far off. Like you said, it's, it's, he's not just giving you a, a way out, but he's with you in it. And I, and I think that's, um, to me, that's maybe try to bring that phrase to a level of specificity for me, that's helpful. I think that's what it means. It's, it's Jesus is the one who is in it with you, but where he is, he's in that place of control and that place of authority. Um, that doesn't mean it's still not going to be hard and difficult. The disciples are freaking out, and then they, they were rebuked for their lack of faith. Um, but Jesus was still there. And so I think pointing out where Jesus is in the midst of the storm is, is, is the key to finding peace. Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, there's a huge difference between somebody saying, let go and let God, and Jesus in the midst mm-hmm. of our turmoil, speaking to our heart and saying, let go and trust me. And right. it's, it's mm-hmm. understand the difference between the two that's so important. And mm-hmm. as Christians, we want to be the ones that point people in their troubles to Jesus, who ultimately is the one who can take it from them. Mm-hmm. All right. Nicely said. Yeah. I'm going to take a little break when we come back more of Guy Talk. If you have a question, you'd like us to uh, discuss 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Guide Talk. Tiger McLuhan's joining us. You having fun, Tiger? Yeah, I am having fun. Oh, good. That's important to me. It's important that you have fun. (laughs) Important everybody has fun. That's right. All right. uh, Welcome back, Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, Justin Jepson, Tiger McLuhan. I was looking at um, um, Jesus and his, you know, disdain for Pharisees, right? But yet he showed incredible compassion at Nicodemus, who was a chief Pharisee. Why the difference? <laughs> well, some of the Pharisees were trying to kill him. That's a good point. Nic- Nicodemus wasn't. Yeah. Nicodemus was interested and curious. And, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, earlier in this uh, show, um, Justin quoted the verse where Paul tells us we have to correct our opponents with gentleness. And that's the norm. But there are times when Jesus and the Apostle Paul and uh, John Baptist got super blunt. And I think mm-hmm. under the leading of the Holy Spirit, we need to do that, too. Um, I think it's hard to do, but uh, just uh, uh, Jesus saw hard hearts. He could get pretty blunt trying to wake them up, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, Nicodemus was an honest, what I call an honest seeker. He was a very well-educated man. People looked up to him. But obviously he saw something in Jesus that really touched him. I mean, to meet with him when he did, late at night, and to to ask the questions he did, he was honestly seeking. Where the other Pharisees, too many of them, were tried, they wanted to look honest, but underneath they really, as Jesus said, full of dead men's bones. They really, there wasn't any depth there. And the interesting part is, when he looks at us, he knows exactly the same thing. 
Uh, are you looking or are you playing games with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, I think really good it's point. the attitude. Yeah, really, uh, really good and important to remember that it. He, he didn't attack the per people, the position of the Pharisee. He attacked the attitude. Right. Uh, the, right. If they were hiding behind religiosity and arrogance and we're better than everyone else, Jesus would uh, would nail that one. But if their attitude, the same category, but a different attitude, Jesus responded positively. Yeah. Yeah, I think we tend to, you know, treat Pharisee and hypocrite as synonyms. And I think, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> but I think Nicodemus um, seemed to step away from that, you know, into the realm of humility. And I think Jesus saw saw him speaking and searching and then it's it's interesting how Nicodemus not only shows up at, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry but then he's there with Joseph of, of Arimathea after after the crucifixion to help um, right. put him in the tomb and I just think it's just really cool to see how Jesus meets people um, where they're at in their journey and um, and just to see how Nicodemus just continues to pursue and obviously <laughs> you know there was that continued gradual growth and um, you know we don't know for sure, but seem to become a disciple and a true and a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, Tiger, you've been in youth ministry your whole career. I was wondering what some of the biggest differences you see in kids today versus, you know, a couple of decades ago. Yeah, sadly, it's been many, many decades. I started out young, cool, and relevant, and now I'm not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think. You know, it, since since I started, you've seen almost everything change in terms of families, in terms of culture, in terms of technology, pace of life, um, so many things. And yet, be underneath it, um, the search for their for a person uh, person's identity is is still the same. It's more confusing than ever before. Uh, families struggle with helping that journey, but. Um, I think the family uh, system has gotten uh, more in turmoil, um, as our culture has. But uh, kids are still trying to figure out, I, I think, two major questions. And that is, who am I in the midst of all the options in front of us, which right now our culture has made it harder to identify who am I when they've said you can be anything you want, literally anything you want to be. Uh, figuring out who I am in that is tough. And the second question is, whose am I? Who do I belong to? What Am I part of this family? Am I part of this church? Am I part? You know, where's my identity as a? And, and that's why the gospel speaks to both of those: your personal identity, but also your corporate sense of your belonging to the family of God, to uh, people of God. You know, so I, I find those things uniquely the same, but more confusing in a more complicated world. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a friend who says what you just said to me periodically. Tom, remember who you are and whose you are. And yep. th- those yep. words are good for us to hear a lot from each other. Remember who you well, are yeah. and whose you are. Yeah. And, and, and that's really good for us adults who are fairly mature. Uh, <laughs> yep. Really essential for a kid who's starting to fig- trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, I began working a lot, and I'm writing a book on it right now, on identity and purpose from a Christian perspective. And what I have been shocked at is I have taught adult classes. As I have taught, I did a seminar down in Ohio not long ago. As I taught there, these are all Christians. And I said to them, tell me, what is your identity as a Christian? 
And I'll be honest, and Tiger, you've probably seen this, most of them didn't have an answer. They struggled with that. And I would say to them, well, what is your real purpose in this life? And I hear everything from being a good parent to being a good citizen to being a good churchgoer to being, no, 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 that's not your purpose. Those are the things you do. But what is your purpose? And trying to get through that your identity mm-hmm. is that you're a, literally a child of God washed in the blood of Jesus, and that your purpose is literally to make disciples of others and proclaim the name of Jesus is something I think most of our youth don't get. And so they're going through our training, they're going through our, our youth ministries, and they're all good, and I've worked with a lot of them. But most of them never get that deeply enough in their heart to make a difference when they become adults or teenagers, and the world just goes after them without mercy. You're very, very right. Yeah. And, and this world is more complicated than ever before. I hear the word complicated all the time, but life, culture, family, it's more complicated than ever before. And I'm finding more and more people are, are discouraged because of it. They don't know what to do. And that's partly because they've lost the clarity of their purpose and their identity. Exactly. And I, yeah, I found that I think anytime, I love your word, Tiger, about that's good for us as adults to keep in mind because I think anytime I've gone through a major transition in life, whether that's taking on a different, uh, different role in ministry or, you know, having children, you know, I recognize how much my identity even deceptively can be attached to things other than Jesus. And, and it's uh-huh. my identity is, expre- is expressed in my roles, but I don't think I really realized how much my identity was attached to roles and to the things that I do. And I don't know if, you know, Bill, if I take a little side note here, Tiger, if, if you would all remember me, but I, I took, when I started off in youth ministry, the, the, I don't know, 15 years ago, it was my first kind of ministry assignment the Lord gave me. Um, I took the youth leadership courses, and um, and I remember you talking about that idea of identity and purpose, and, and what struck me at that point was, you know, I can't help anyone else do that if I haven't figured that out myself, and I wonder if you know, part of the failure of mentoring, not being able to mentor this next generation is because there's a generation that's gone before that that we're not solid and clear um, and grounded in our own identity and purpose. And it is a journey of gro- growth and maturity, to be sure. But I think that that has to be, um, that's just something that I remember you helping me out, out, out with immensely as I was beginning a journey of ministry. A couple of years ago, I was had the opportunity for a year to do confirmation uh, 12, 13-year-olds with five women, five young ladies. Can't tell you why I did it, guys. I kind of skipped the catechism. I kind of skipped the normal stuff. We did a lot of Bible study, a lot of prayer, and we honed every week over and over the issue of who are you in Christ and what are you here for. We did that for a whole year. A month after I had left that church, I was just an interim, mom called me and said, come for dinner. We did. She said, uh, after everybody had eaten and her daughter, who was in my class, went outside, she said, you know what your class did to my daughter this year? I said, no. What did it do? I thought I was in trouble. She said, I got a call from her public school teacher last week. And her public school teacher said, we asked the kids to write down, you know, what their goals are in their life, like one to ten. Do you know what your daughter wrote down for number one? Mom says, (laughs) no. What did she write? She wrote down, I am an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, guys, in all the years of ministry, I have never seen that before, and that hit me so hard, and it was like the Lord saying, ding, 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 wake up, Tom. This is what it's about. This is what we need to be teaching. This is what we need to be doing. And three years later, this young woman, who is now 17 years old, is truly an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Wow. Amen. That's great. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, studies have shown they have fancy terms and everything, but the average church kid in America today believes that being a Christian is being nice. That basically our job is to be nice to people and, Uh and that then we've fulfilled, that's our purpose. And that's such a, such a vague, uh, a non-gospel declaration mm. of a purpose. Just be nice. But that's mm. what the average yeah. kid, at least according to studies that I've read, uh, understand what it means to be a Christian. Well, and, and, yeah, Tiger, that reminds me, I had a, a pastor friend that went to a, a conference, and they were talking about liberalism in the church and how it hurt things. And, and the speaker got up and said, let me give you the three pillars of liberal theology. Number one, God is nice. Number two, we too should be nice. And number three, isn't that nice? <laughs> That's wrong on all levels. The depth, the depth of a lot of preaching is, is I mean, I, I asked somebody, when's the last time your pastor preached on hell? The response was, he's never preached on hell. Wow. And I right, think right. The, the reason we have youth that Christianity is being nice is because we don't preach the gospel. We preach, let's all be nice. All right, gentlemen, it's been been wonderful having everyone on board today. Thank you so much for being part of Guide Talk. Um, Have a great rest of the day, gentlemen. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, Bill. We'll take a little break. We'll be back. uh, Coming up in Hour 2, Beverly Canaris will be joining me, talking about the family of God. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.